welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm a little tired today, but I'm doing great. Uh, well, I'm going <laughs> to... I, I do this all the time. Equivocate immediately. Yeah. But I also... The thing that I'm that's on my mind right now is the inspiration for the topic, so I'm kind of going to put off getting into my mind, okay. my headspace until after cu- we pay the bills or whatever. I was um, curious the, your inspiration, but now immediately, of course I know what it was. Yeah. Uh, cause you told me the other day. Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, so you're, but in, you had something on your mind. I did. Um, okay. So it's official. It's been finalized. Disney has purchased Fox. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Aside from the historical significance of that, anybody who uh, ITA'd for this like history of Hollywood class twice, and so I sat in all the lectures, and it was a you know a history of not just the artistic contribution of Hollywood to film in general, but also talking about like corporate takeovers and and that sort of thing, um, and Fox being one of the earliest. Uh, studios and I to my knowledge I don't think Disney's going to disband Fox I think it's still going to say 20th Century Fox um, but it's it's a big deal but they already uh, shut down Fox 2000 right yeah with, with very little uh, fanfare to my knowledge yeah. um, but what I will say is that uh, when you think of all the properties okay here's what I'll say uh yeah, one company can buy another. I don't care. Like that, I'm not trying to block that. That doesn't bother me. Um, even even the concept of monopoly doesn't necessarily bother me. Partially because I feel like a monopoly isn't possible in the modern world anymore. But because uh, there's a, always going to be uh, internet companies and that kind of thing. But anyway, um, but I don't know. But if the, I don't want to get into too much stuff, Amazon like, could but, buy like us all. but also like in terms of net neutrality, if the if you're saying the way for an upstart company to challenge a big one is to the internet what if the internet is controlled by one of these sure. monopolies that then keeps uh keeps the smaller companies from being able to succeed i'm yeah. obviously coming to this from way further to the left left right. than you are yeah um, um and yet i'm not particularly i feel my first thing when i hear about the disney fox thing is that I'm certain that a number of Fox employees are going to be laid off. And that makes me sad. I'm always very sad when people lose their jobs. I guess that, yes, there is that as well. Uh, I hate to say that was not my first thought. My first thought was how are these various properties going to be ruined? Um, but and that, that I, that, that's the stuff I don't care about. I care about there being, uh, I mean, less competition is, is bad um, and also Disney I, I don't know if Disney is going to impose their I mean I, all the major studios are already very tentpole focused but Disney mm-hmm. in particular doesn't they essentially don't do small movies anymore unless you count right. like their Disney nature documentaries and stuff like that um, but like you know are they ever going to do another McFarland USA which is a really good movie um, or uh, Rookie or any uh, of those uh, other yeah know. and or some non-sports ones too probably sure uh, the kid Disney's the kid yeah um, um, but uh, yeah so I'm I don't care about existing franchises or properties and what's going to happen to them well, unless you can, can, can convince me otherwise it's it's you know and that's the thing in many in many cases the properties that i'm talking about are already pretty ruined but it's more about the idea of just disneyfication in general like i really disliked alien covenant and i didn't really like prometheus so like the alien series in general 
is has not been in good shape for quite a while. But they are rated R movies that are still kind of aimed at a larger audience. That is not Disney's thing. And so this idea of and when I think of Fox in general, I tend to think of something that's more adult oriented. Um, like when you think of even like, oh, Fox Animation was like Simpsons and then Family Guy and that oh, kind okay. of thing. Um, yeah, they, I'm, I'm trying to think of their like major releases, not Fox Searchlight, but like major Fox releases. Right. You've got like Life of Pi. Yeah. You've got Gone Girl. And even uh, something, yeah. something, uh, I mean, speaking of tentpoles, but like uh, Avatar, which does fit in, I think, a bit more with what Disney is doing. But mm-hmm. this idea of like there being a studio that is not quite so interested in all audiences. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, who did, who did Terminator? Uh, I don't actually remember now, but Fox would regularly put out like M for mature, uh, you know, TV shows and rated R movies. Uh, and even, and put, putting aside any kind of quality, just, I think that that's a necessary thing. It's something I've been thinking a lot, thinking more about as I get older is the idea of like movies made with adults in mind. And I just, and that's my bigger concern less about like, but do you think, I mean, do we know they're not going to let, no, I don't. That's my, that is my concern. It could be that Disney is like, Hey, if we acquire Fox, that actually gives us a, gives the company like a certain degree of freedom for lack of better term to well, yeah, try they, to bring this audience in as well. They used to have Touchstone, and they would make R-rated movies under Touchstone. Yeah. They don't have that anymore. Right. Now maybe Fox is their, their Touchstone. Yeah, and that is my, that's my hope. But then the downside here is that, you know, you don't buy something to lose money, and you don't buy something to uh, show restraint. And so when we look at, like, what's happening with the Star Wars movies, um... I'm not even actually going to talk about the content of the Star Wars movies, but I do think it was a big mistake to release one every year. You know, yeah. again, I like Rogue. I, I like all of them, all of them, really. Yeah, me but too. it's but I think there is such a thing as fatigue when it comes to, as in my opinion, limited a universe yeah. as Star Wars. Um, Let's rank the Disney Star Wars movies. Number okay. one, Last Jedi. Number two. I think it's between Last Jedi and Rogue One. Number for me. two is Rogue One for but me. I think La- I think I like Last Jedi more. Yeah, Last Jedi, Rogue One, Solo, Force Awakens. Is that all of them? I think that's all of them. I like Force Awakens more than Solo, um, partially just because I I I am a sucker for Kylo Ren. I think he's a really yeah. really good character. I, I don't um, have anything against Force Awakens. I just feel like the template is so lifted from the first star Wars movie and the aesthetic template is so yeah. lifted from the Disney Marvel movies yeah. that I feel like it Ro- feels rogue one came along and looked like its own thing. It looked like a star Wars movie. It had, it, it yeah. looked like a big space fantasy sci-fi epic. It had a sense of scope and, and of, um, perspective. Mm-hmm. Whereas force one, like a lot of the Marvel movies, even though I like some of them, it's all just kind of like, uh, soft and liquidy the way it looks it, it feels you know? very safe in a lot of ways yeah. and certainly last jedi does not feel safe like the number yeah. of things that they do but uh but i do think that like 
and again, this would be a bigger deal if the Alien series were in good shape, which it isn't. But uh, if it were, then it's like, okay, does this mean there's going to be like an Alien movie every year? Like these these known properties that actually do that people do that people are fond of. Uh, is Disney just going to be like, hey, we own we own uh, we own Alien now? So let's get to work, everybody. Um, and then I guess there's there's X Men and Fantastic Four and that kind of thing, and so now those could be brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And even though I think that the X Men series is very flawed, it still had its own aesthetic, and now it's gonna be it's gonna look like these other things. And so that's so my I, I'm not opposed to them doing it uh, from any kind of corporate or legal standpoint, but I do feel like and I like. Yeah, I like the Marvel films, and I like mostly these the new Star Wars films. So I don't necessarily mean that the Disney aesthetic uh, is something that I'm opposed to, but I just don't think everything needs it. And I worry that every that now all of these Fox properties are going to just fall into the Disney like visual aesthetic and release schedule yeah. and all of that kind of thing. So it it bums me out a little bit. Um, but I could be wrong. I'm, I'm willing to say that they could go a complete different direction with it. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely see. Um, I feel bad for people who are probably losing their jobs. Um, and, uh, I, I'll probably just roll with whatever they do. I do like the, uh, uh, list of like Fox characters who are now technically Disney princesses. Uh, I've seen that. Um, my question is speaking of gone girl, does Amy Dunn become a Disney princess now? (laughs) Can we see her hanging out with Ariel and Merida? Um, anyway, uh, I don't know why I picked the two red haired Disney princesses, Mm. Ariel and Merida. Are there there any other redhead Disney princesses or is it just those two? Those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. There's probably a big one that I'm that I'm missing. But yeah. uh, anyway, um, let's play some bills. Absolutely. Well, oh, you know what? Actually, first I want to. Oh, okay. We got a postcard from a listener. We love this. We love the contact from the listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find the PO box address on the website somewhere. It's under about. I think. Uh, Is it? You click on about. Yes, I, I think that's so. where you find it. Um, and uh, this is from Dave. Uh, and it's clearly from Minnesota, uh, uh, which, um, is, it says the uh, PS, the front of this card is solely for Tyler, uh, and his consistent and relentless, if apt attacks on Minnesota's <laughs> climate, uh, something, something hardier than most. The, uh, oh, this, this thing, this thing got kind of beat up in transit. So there's some parts of this that I, uh, can't, can't write, uh, can't write, can't read. Um, but he's saying he works at a market. Uh, a lot of this first paragraph is, is smudged or stamped over. Uh, recently, several packages of Tim Tams arrived, mm. uh, which he only knew of from our podcast. And uh, he said, I've watched it move from the shelves of grocery stores in middle America to finally being snapped up by our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, as I think about the arc of Tim Tam's possible market oversaturation, <laughs> I realize just how long I've been listening to your show. <laughs> um, so thanks, Dave. This is an awesome uh, little postcard. Absolutely. That's, uh, uh, the postcard is about all the layers of clothes you have to wear in the winter in Minnesota. Uh, although even that got all uh, yeah. smeared and 
stamped. So yeah, that that postcard has been has seen some shit. Dave, uh, maybe but, use a higher quality pen or something. <laughs> I don't think it, I, I don't think it is. Whatever either. was done to the front of this, like yeah. it, it has nothing to do with uh, him. Yeah, yeah that's it's seen some shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Yes. Thank you very much, David. We appreciate it. Uh, so uh, as for the rest of you. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before. Uh, There are always 30 different films to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch than actually watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Currently available on Mubi. What? I forgot there's also a movie uh, or two that I want to mention. That's oh, okay. I, I meant to tell you before we recorded. Okay. Uh, but yeah, currently available on movie is Tom Anderson and Noel Birch's Red Hollywood. That's one of them that I was going to mention. Uh, a documentary about the McCarthy era and the lives and careers that it ruined in Hollywood. Tom Anderson, of course, yeah. made uh, Los Angeles Plays Itself, which I love. Now, have you seen Red Hollywood? I have not. Okay, so, but you know from having seen Los Angeles Plays Itself what Tom Anderson's politics are. Uh, yes. Um, so this... Red Hollywood is great, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a documentary that is le- less about the actual House on American Activities uh, committee. committee. Is that right? Yeah. Um, HUAC. Uh, yeah, and the, and the things that happened to these directors. And it's more about the work they made leading up to that mm-hmm. and the actual leftist ideals that were showing up in these movies that Tom yeah. Anderson is very much in, in favor of. Yeah. Um, it's, if you like last time this plays itself, you'll like it. It's also, it's, it's also has that sort of video essay historical yeah. clip heavy type of, uh, approach. Uh, yeah, I love it. I assume with a very arch tone, uh, not quite as much so as Los Angeles plays okay. itself, but yeah, there's a little bit of that. And I will say, um, now I don't, but Mubi did this thing. I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. But they, they show they they're showing this, and then the next day they put up a film made in the '30s by King Vidor, huh. um, the name of which I have forgotten. Okay. It's a biblical reference. Ugh. Our hey. Daily Bread. Okay. That was it. I was going to say, um, if anyone should know, I know. Uh, and it is, and it's, it is a, a film very much about uh, socialism and how that could like cure poverty and all that. Which, admittedly, it was the 1930s and the type of socialism that Russia was, uh, uh, engaging in was not public knowledge yet, but, uh, but yeah. And so clearly, uh, movie is showing red Hollywood and then immediately yeah, followed it up great. with the type of movie that, uh, yeah. that Tom Anderson is talking about. Um, uh, but you wanted to mention, yes, the other one I yeah. want to mention because two reasons, because it's a good movie and also because, uh, a friend of ours, not a friend of the show, hasn't been on the show, but a friend of ours, uh, is in it, uh, most beautiful Island, which our friend Josh Youngerman, uh, has, oh, a, yeah, okay. has a small role in, uh, most beautiful Island is a terrific movie. um, uh, you know, a thing that you and I say on the podcast all the time, because we both had the same, uh, film professor in college who, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, uh, your undergrad, uh, um, right, yeah. who loved to say, there's nothing you can say in cinema that you can't say in genre cinema. Mm-hmm. And most beautiful Island is a movie that is, uh, uh, an incredibly harrowing movie about how precarious the existence of an undoc- undocumented, uh, immigrant, um, especially a female undocumented immigrant is mm-hmm. and how you're constantly one step away from devastation, ruin, being exploited, being taken advantage of. It's about all of these things within the framework of a horror movie. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, it's about a woman who uh, takes a 
mysterious job because she needs the money or she's going to get uh, evicted um, and finds herself in a potentially life or death <laughs> situation. Okay. Um, most beautiful Island. It's really terrific and it's only like 77 minutes long or something. Nice. So uh, yeah, definitely check that out. All right. Um, and yeah. And so you can, if these movies interest you, you can try movie free for 30 days at movie.com slash battleship. That's M U B I.com slash battleship for a whole month of great cinema for free. Oh, and I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Uh, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, they look great and they sound great. And Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. I'm using my, I, I mentioned last week that I just ordered some new ones. Uh, they, they, they arrived. I've, I've been using those. Uh, they sound great. Uh, what did I listen to today? I listened to, uh, there's a new, uh, I guess, mixtape. I feel like the categories don't mean anything anything anymore with like uh with 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 Spotify and stuff like that. Sure. Like um I think I mentioned that uh like Kanye West put out a bunch of albums like his own albums and then stuff that he had produced mm-hmm. um last year and all the albums are like under a half hour long, which makes right. them essentially like six song EPs, but someone has figured out that the Spotify algorithm favors things that are listed as albums. It, they're more likely to show up. Uh, and so things just get called albums. So anyway, this guy flume, who's like a, a British, uh, uh, sort of, uh, I guess producer type garage, uh, British garage, not American garage type of, uh, uh, hip hop stuff, uh, has a new mixtape. I don't know. It's an album. Uh, yeah. it's called hi, this is flume. Uh, anyway, I listened to it like three times today cause it's only, it's only like 35 minutes long. Sounded great on my tweaked earbuds. Uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweaked And, uh, if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, which is what I did when I got my new, uh, new pair, I got them in green, uh, my new pair, um, like a lime it, green or like uh, a dark, like a hunter green, no closer to a, to a lime. Yeah. Okay. It might be a lime. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe that's what I, what it, what it is. Um, and uh it's uh what, what was i going to say you get we use the offer code pretension to check out you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking what's your secret begin by ordering your at home impression kit today for only 14.95 Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? So here's what's on my mind. Yeah. We've weirdly had a lot of... Um, uh, talk about capitalism and uh, my leftism, mm-hmm. uh, and here, here I am. And yet, uh, no. Here, well, this is I am experiencing both the joys and anxieties mm-hmm. of modern day capitalism, okay. which, which is a, a designed like a video game or a slot machine mm-hmm. to give you a little bit of joy and a little bit of feeling of moving up a ladder. Uh, packaged with terrifying anxiety that you're going to lose it. <laughs> you know, there's no, 
in modern day capitalist society there is no security because you never know when the government's going to tax you to death um that's what you're talking about right but no because if i'm (laughs) if i'm being taxed i know i know anyway i'm i'm pro taxes paid my tax actually i've uh didn't owe anything this year i'm actually getting a little money back which i usually don't i got a surprising amount of money back yeah my wife got a bunch uh i'm just getting a little bit but usually i like owe something and i pay it happily because that's the kind of money where my mouth is uh uh liberal i am anyway were you happy to get that uh, money back though uh i'd probably use it to pay down some credit card debt i guess okay yeah uh which is not what they want you to do as i learned from the west wing uh because that's what charlie did your friend dulay hill um uh, (laughs) oh don't spoil it (laughs) that's right Uh, well it's already up check out the page patreon patreon's great um anyway uh so no for the first time in my many years uh i guess over a decade now as a an office worker Mm -hmm. i am not cubicle guy right i have been moved into an office asterisk it's a shared office not a complaint i actually love uh my two office mates it's three of us oh it does raise the question how many desks do you put in a room before it stops being an office and starts being a room with more desks in it but this if you saw this it's clearly an office um and i get now i get to share an office with the my work friend that i talk about tv shows and great british baking show with and my work friend that i talk about women's hockey with so couldn't have picked two better office mates yeah uh so it's this weird feeling of like this is something that i uh this is this represents some weird step up it's not a promotion or anything but it is like a different experience of working in an office than because cubicles especially modern day cubicles i I have to say um and i'm weird saying that because i know like one of my bosses listens to the show uh but he knows how i feel the modern day like open floor plan cubicle thing is terrible and that's not my opinion it is my opinion but it is uh, recently uh over the past couple years proven by a couple of studies i think i read an article about it yeah uh yeah that basically the idea that it was supposed to foster like connection and teamwork is has completely backfired because everyone is constantly annoyed that they can't escape their coworkers, and yeah. so it's led to a rise in people just wearing headphones all day which i admit that i do mm-hmm. and uh and pretty stylish ones uh, too. yeah I'm that's sure. true yeah um <laughs> and that basically like people are less productive less happy and less connected to their other coworkers yeah. with the open floor plan which is the exact opposite of what people good friends uh, make good neighbors uh, that's what i say and that's and I, that does seem to be yeah. uh the case in an office office setting so i do like it's only been a few days uh of a couple of days at this point of this but i've already noticed like wow i feel like i feel more relaxed i yeah. feel more productive uh it's uh it's great and yet i'm also immediately like they could take this away from me at any moment sure there are people who have like essentially the same job description that i have Mm. who are in cubicles it just like worked out with our we moved floors and so it worked out just logistically that now now i'm uh, in an office and i and i love it but i also am terrified that they can take it away from me at any minute well and and the way that i look at stuff like that like a promote i know it's not it's not really a promotion it's it's literally just we moved our department moved from one floor to another the logistics worked out in such a way basically there are three people at my job that have my job description right two of them already shared one office okay so they there was a bigger office yeah so they decided to throw me in with them 
And so, yeah, I feel like that's uh, like a promotion or your own office or like these these. Neither of which is what I got, but your very own office, (laughs) corner office with big windows and a wonderful view. Um, You know, it's it it's not necessarily a reward, but it's it's more of like uh, a statement of trust, which is like, hey, you've been at the job for a long time. You've shown yourself to be reliable. And so we want to try to create an environment, whether it be like a monetary bonus or whatever it is. Um, we want to try and create an environment where you can continue to do what you've already been doing yeah. as opposed to don't fuck this up Vax. Yeah. yeah. But, and that is what, that, that's another thing about the, the, that I didn't mention about the open floor plan is it does feel like, uh, you're constantly being surveilled. That, that's what would get me yeah. in that situation is this feeling of like, and of course, <laughs> you're at work you will you are doing work but like yeah if you happen to have like another window open that's like playing music while like over your headphones like and if you click over to that one for two seconds what if it's the two seconds that the boss is walking by it's like this guy just listens to music all day you know yeah. or whatever it is yeah that that would get to me that level of paranoia would get to me uh yeah um i feel like i've try to combat that because I'm, I'm not, you know, I uh, check this websites that I check during, during yeah. the day at work, but I basically try to combat that by trying to be good at my job and reliable. Yeah. Um, and I think I've, uh, I, I haven't really gotten any complaints, so I guess I've been reliable. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, so all of this feeling about, you know, I, I talked before on the podcast about like how, w- where the Friday morning bagels are placed causes <laughs> right um, uh, uh, consternation. Consternation is exactly the word I was about to go to. Um, and I said one of my other friends um, at work who uh, hated being by the bagels because it felt like because people were constantly asking her about the bagels, which I yeah. think is. Uh, it was where she was placed, but also I was just as close to the bagels. And I feel like there's like some sexism that people Mm. are like asking the woman, like, Hey, is it okay? I'm not a part of your department. Is it okay if I grab a bagel or do you know where the uh, light cream cheese, they were asking these dumb questions and it drove her crazy. It could also have to do with the general approachability. Um, (laughs) that I just had give off a like, don't fuck with me. Uh, I hope, I hope that's not entirely the case. Uh, but I guess it worked to my benefit in the bagel thing. Um, but no, when we like figured out where we were moving onto the new floor, this, uh, friend of mine was like, uh, you know, she's still in the cubicle. She's like over the moon. She was like, I scoped it out. There is no convenient place for the bagels to go near my desk. So I will not be near the bagels yeah. no matter what. Uh, anyway, so I was thinking about the fact that like these ultimately meaningless things yeah. do tend to mean a lot because the, uh, the office environment becomes, it's where I spend most of my time mm-hmm. and uh it's an insular in, in environment there's a microcosm and so it got me thinking about movies about working in offices yeah um and so that's what i wanted to to talk about today okay. um and i'll say uh, i intentionally when I, whenever i mention a topic like this we were both going to do a little bit of research or whatever. Mm-hmm. I intentionally try to be as vague as possible because I'm curious to see if you will set different guidelines for yourself yeah. than I will. So one thing that I um, insisted on for myself for, for movies to qualify for this list is that it is not important to the movie what they do for their job. Sure. So no, I absolutely. did like something like, um, like 
uh, Spotlight is a movie that is it's it's about at a working office environment but it's right. so specific and yes. so crucial to the movie that the movie is not really it's not about working in an office it's about this kind of work yeah hidden figures would be another one that i, uh, I mentioned yeah. uh, earlier in the movie that's definitely and hidden figures definitely has it's like office politics mm-hmm. like how far you have to go to the to get to the nearest bathroom like that's yeah. that could be something straight out of office space except oh, yes. it's uh, obviously carries a lot more weight uh, and has more levels and in, in hidden figures but i disqualified that because it's it's too important to me what they do yeah okay so uh, i will say that when you texted me this topic you didn't simply say office you said white collars so that's i zeroed in on that a little bit okay um and so of course there's a lot of wall street type movies yeah. in here including Boiler Room. Uh, Wall Street is obviously what I was going to say. Um, oh, yeah. But, but Boiler Room, uh, Boiler Room is in here It's as a well. good movie, right? I remember seeing it in the theater and I, liking it, but I don't know if, if I, I revisited it if I would like it. It is good. Great performances. A good ensemble. Um, I Ron think Rifkin. Ron Rifkin. He's great in it. It's weirdly uh, the part that stands out. <laughs> it's, well, it makes sense, though, like yeah. the, the role that he plays. But um, I think maybe it's it at times it tries a little bit too hard. Um, see, I can see that. Yeah. But that, but you know, I'd rather have a film trying too hard than not trying hard enough. Okay. And with an, uh, an ensemble that good, I'm fine with it. But, uh, yeah. Um, so white collar, I tended to think in terms of not merely offices, although that there's a lot of commonality there, but also like the, the, in some cases, the type of job and just the, the type of characters that hold that job. Okay. I, I mean, Glengarry Glen Ross takes place in an office. I don't see that as white collar at all. Like these guys are like a step above, you know, minimum wage. I don't think that's actually true, but like the way that they, the way their job works, like Alec Baldwin is white collar. These other guys are not. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like they are all white collar because to me, they're not, physically getting dirty or using their muscles like to me a blue collar job is one uh where you're probably not at a desk you're getting your hands dirty you're fixing cars you're shoveling you know digging ditches is always the yeah uh, i don't know anyone who digs ditches that obviously has to get done but uh that seems to always be the example in movies of blue collar jobs and i think in my in my mind i think there's a lot less i think there's a lot more gray area now like certainly 70 or 80 years ago, there was a huge difference between if you like, if you're in an office, you've got a starched white collar yeah. and, and then there's everybody else, uh, who are probably doing manual labor. But these days there's so, of course there are still manual labor jobs, but I don't know if I'd say that you're going to be dirty by the end of them or that they're even that labor intensive. I think increasingly like the jobs that people have, even that they, even and maybe especially that they don't like is one where they are sitting at a desk or whatever it is. Um, like telemarketing, telemarketing is not a white collar job. Like that is, but see then maybe this is a, why you and I have different lists, uh, is cause I, I absolutely think of that as a white collar job. I tend to think of white collar as like upper, as like upper class or at least upper crust. Um, and when I look at the salesman in Glengarry Glen Ross, or I look at like okay. a telemarketer, I certainly don't so think to you it's about, white. uh, tax bracket, like income bracket. Maybe, yeah. And, a little, uh, yeah. and tax let, let me make sure I've got that straight. Um, that's interesting because I, I tended to focus on the um, uh, drudgery aspects 
that like, um, or at least that's how it's often the way that it's often, um, I think about this a lot. The way that office work is portrayed in movies like office space is a great Mm -hmm. example, uh, as being drudgery. Yeah. Um, and Mike judgery. Uh, (laughs) Um, but I always think about that as an office worker who actually really likes my job a lot. Um, I sometimes realize like, yeah, these are movies being made by people who were not suited to that kind of work. Right. They're made by creative types. You know, I'm sure that, you know, offices did seem like terrible, awful prisons to them because it goes against who they are. To me, I like what I do. I'm not, I don't think of myself as just like someone who goes and sits in front of a computer all day and it could be anything, even though I do spend most of my day in front of a computer, I I'm doing very specific things that I care passionately about. Um, uh, but, uh, there was another point I was going to make there. Um, let me ask you this to even boil it down to something seemingly superficial. Cause I was, I was going to ask, well, I teach and I sit at a desk and that sort of thing. Is that, could that be considered a white collar job? And then I thought like, it's like, you know, I, I lectured and I lectured wearing my like uh, Pink Floyd T-shirt the other yeah. day, and then I thought like, what if it is? What if it literally could be boiled down to like any job where if you don't wear a tie, you would get in trouble. You know, like uh, oh that wow, that's way that there's, up there. There's such an expectation, and if that's the case, but even because, that, it, there are fewer places like that because even uh, I know you probably don't read the men's style uh, blogs. Keep up on that sort of community. How do you? Uh, um, I feel like we would, we, we would have <laughs> mentioned it by now. Stands but, to reason. Uh, within the few weeks, a few weeks, um, Goldman Sachs relaxed its "you have to wear a suit" policy for mm. the first time in its history. It sort of said where would you think is appropriate, which I still think means probably a suit in most cases, but yeah. it's saying you don't have to. Um, and I, uh, read at our friend of the show, uh, Jesse Thorne, his, uh, website, uh, put this on, yeah. uh, did a post about it, um, in which a story was told from the earlier days of Goldman, Goldman Sachs, like the, probably the sixties or seventies when it wasn't just wear a suit, it was wear a wool suit. Hmm. Um, even in the summer, and so it, it, it uh, yeah. um, uh, told the story of a, a guy who, would, during a particularly brutal summer, of going to Goldman Sachs every day in his in his wool uh, suit, decided to test his luck a little bit and wear wear seersucker. Yeah, and so he shows up. He's still wearing a suit. He shows up to work. And one of the top uh, executives of the, of the company says, stops him and says, do you work here at Golden, Goldman Sachs? And he said, yeah, I do. And the guy said, then I suggest you go home and change out of your pajamas. <laughs> 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 uh, 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 I love that story. Uh, um, it reminds me of another story that has, we're so off topic. One of my other uh, favorite stories is um, two British gentlemen talking about... Um, um, uh, their umbrellas that they carry with mm-hmm. them, and uh, the 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 fretting about losing their umbrellas, and the one says, "Well, I have written on the inside of the umbrella in large gold letters, property of uh, my name." Yeah. Um, and the other guy says, "Well, doesn't that you know stand out? Doesn't you know doesn't that ru- ruin the effect of the?" 
umbrella when you're using it. And the guy incensed says a gentleman never unfurls his brawly. (laughs) 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 Anyway, (laughs) I like stories about stuffy old like men's style rules. (laughs) Who's their, their biggest insult is to simply say good day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, Along those lines, along the lines of your first story, uh, one of the first films that I thought of is, um, the man in the gray flannel suit, um, which I've never seen Gregory Peck and one of my favorite actors, uh, Frederick March. Um, and, uh, I saw it in high school. It sounded like the kind, I can't think of a more, uh, of a more telling thing than the fact that I was about to say it was the kind of thing I liked <laughs> in high school, <laughs> this older film that came out, you know, 20 years before I was born. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it's, and it speaks to what you will often find. Uh, you were talking about it already. The idea that a lot of the times these films are about drudgery. Mm-hmm. They are about, um, people who, who are, who feel con- constrained by expectations, not merely of fashion, but of just behavior and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, like that is a very common theme and it often, it, it often plays out that uh, it is a man who is probably neglecting his family uh, so that he can do this. Um, I would, or he's that's, that's more of an older trope, not so yeah, much in the last probably the, twenty years. But the ones I'm thinking of are more like he's wasting his life because right. of this. So because I think I mentioned Office Space, but the other two that immediately come to mind, even though most of them don't take place in in the office, mm-hmm. is Fight Club. Sure. And Joe versus the volcano, even though oh, it's, no it's really only that opening. It's him and Dan, yeah. Dan Hedaya is his boss. Is that right? Is that who it is? I, I think it's Dan Hedaya is his boss. And he's talking about how the fluorescent light bulbs are sucking his soul out of yes. his eyeballs or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, to me, that's that, that's what I was thinking of when I think of the types of people who write these type of stories mm-hmm. and they write characters who feel about office work the way that they do. Right. And it's, there are very few movies about people being super fulfilled by their office jobs, which is weird because that's, it's not yeah. uncommon. Well, and that's the thing is just that, which, which brings me back to that idea of like, you know, in talking about suits and, and the story you just told that like, it has to be this type of suit and if you don't look like that, which incidentally is how everyone looks, and the <laughs> fact that this is even titled "The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit," right. it's it's such a unique title, precisely because you could be describing anybody in that moment. It's the idea of like uniformity, mm-hmm. no personality, uh, and and so. It's hard for in the same way that uh, you find this with movies about the suburbs, which is like all the, you know, and it's like, okay, it's eight, it's 8 a.m. on a Saturday. Here come all the guys with their lawnmowers, you know, that it's a person can't be an individual in that search in that circumstance. And so, um, it is, I won't say lazy, but I'll say easy. It's easier, a lot easier, at least visually to tell a story about someone dissatisfied with their office job yeah. than someone that is eminently satisfied with fight with their head with their with their office. And it, this is on the one hand, this is a movie that's very much about people who are dissatisfied by their office jobs. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's a movie that's very much about the idea that it's not the office job itself. It's the way that, that, uh, these things are carried out in the right care and rules 
uh, and um, respect for the workers, not just as drones, but sure. as individuals, office jobs can be very fulfilling. Uh, and that's the great nine to five, which is a movie okay. in which uh, um, Dabney Coleman pl- plays a uh, bad boss who is only interested in what the people above him mm-hmm. uh played by sterling hayden when he finally shows up at the end um have you seen nine to five I, I have not it's super good it's super good yeah um he's only concerned about uh what what they uh he doesn't care about the people who work for him uh at all and then when he is taken out of the picture for an extended period of time mm-hmm. uh tied up yeah. <laughs> um and the three uh uh jane Fonda, lily talman and dolly parton sort of take over things they uh change the rules and gear things more toward making the actual office workers right. feel appreciated and uh and and happy and like they have purpose and uh, much like what I was saying with the open office plan versus mm-hmm. uh, office plans that respect office workers as individual people, <laughs> um, uh, pr- productivity increases and yeah. uh, profitability increases. And uh, Sterling Hayden is as over the moon as Sterling Hayden can be <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> about, uh, uh, about that. Um, it really is such a good movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's one that I... I love that cast and I was, I was interested in it, but I just, I never got around to it, but it does remind me of, uh, another film at the time, um, which I guess isn't that surprising. I mean, those are both films made in the eighties. So that's about an, that's about 10 years after, um, like second wave feminism suggested that like, it's perfectly, perfectly fine. Maybe even encouraged for women to go into male dominated, mm. uh, situations. And so, uh, the film working girl I have seen, um, I know I, I, I was almost thinking when I thought of this topic, I was almost thinking maybe we should wait to do it until after TCM Fest because TM, TCM Fest is showing Working Girl mm. <laughs> this year. Have you seen and, Working and Girl? You, no, and that's what I'm saying. I've okay. never seen it, and I would get a chance to see it on the big screen. Yeah, uh, but maybe we'll do another episode about. We should have a. We should do an episode about women and men, male dominated films. No guests, just me and you talking about movies about women and dominated male dominated films. This but, time, you know, I have a master's degree from UCLA. I can. Yeah. I, I can figure it out. You've seen Working Girl. I've seen Hidden Figures. Between the two of we us. We are covered. Yeah. We don't. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I've seen Hidden Figures. Um, okay. That, that's uh, all I, that's that all was I not. Got. Do you know, have you I've read. Seen most seasons of Mad Men. I get it. Have you ever read, uh, and this is going to sound like a bit of an insult, but I want you to know that I feel the same way about myself. Have you ever read the Neil Stevenson novel Cryptonomicon? No. There is a part in there that I think about all the time, especially like at comic cons and stuff. Mm. There's a part of them where the main character is talking about how difficult it is. It can be to have a conversation between two nerds or geeks because every declarative statement is taken as an accusation that the other person yes. didn't already know the thing that was just said. Yes, you have you have referenced that. Uh, yes. I think about it constantly um, because it's it's such a great distillation of yeah, that's what it's like. It has only gotten more true. Yeah, like if you if you look at anything online, like on I, I watch I know I watch like more YouTube stuff, and I tend to watch for reasons that uh, baffle me. I I watch stuff where people talk about pop culture 
in a political context, um, which is just just welcomes this type of thing, uh-huh. because then it's everything is everything you say is a litmus test to see, like, wait a minute, where are you <laughs> falling on the pop culture and political spectrum? Um, but uh, but I will say that um, my point is that. By saying I had seen hidden hidden figures, I no. wasn't saying you hadn't. No, <laughs> what I took it as was that like you can you can fill in my blind spot. I'm saying in this instance, I don't need you. That's right. That's All right. right. Okay. And don't you forget it. Okay. Well, I've seen nine to five. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but I will say so. The idea of like the I mean as I was making this list, a lot of these movies were mid to late eighties to early nineties. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, well I guess that makes sense because it's kind of a response to Reagan. Um, and just that kind and wall street and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So you saw, stuff I think you like, meant specifically the working, working girl, like women in the workplace one. I, Cause I didn't I even think, think about Mr. Mom, which definitely yeah, sure. uh, qualifies. I think all of the above. Um, but that's the thing is like Mr. Mom, uh, which again, it's is, not very good, is not good, but that shows one side of it. But like, okay, well we've seen, we see a guy in a domestic situation. So now let's see the other, but it's not them. It's not like, it's not minute. What is it? Minute work with Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez where it's like, ah, but I, this woman wants to be a, a garbage woman, you know, or <laughs> something like that. Uh, it's, they're going into this very specific type of higher end, male dominated society. And so even so movies like secret of my success, again, that now just talking about general, like white collar, like that, even a film like big, the idea oh, of yeah. seeing this environment through the eyes of someone who's not normally in it and kind of seeing how devious it is, uh, and backstabbing and, and dehumanizing it is. Um, and that those people are often rewarded, um, that, yeah. you know, it was, I, I see it very much as, as Hollywood responding to the, the Reagan years. Who is it in John, it's John Hurd John and big Hurd, is yeah. the, the villain. Yeah. Um, big is so good. We'll be talking mm-hmm. about it more in a future episode, by the way. But, uh, oh, yeah. the one thing I do want to mention one mark against big, Okay. Is how do you cast Kevin Meany in a movie and not let him be funny? Kevin Meany, he plays one of the other toy executives. Oh yes, who just like he's yeah. just like oh that's a good idea. It's like Kevin Meany, rest in peace, was one of the most purely funny people. Oh yeah, ever uh, and, and completely like unfiltered. He could yes. like burst into song for no reason. The song the the thing about when his when he was bombing and he's made up on the spot and sang a song about how he didn't care that his jokes weren't getting laughs yeah. is one of the funniest things. Look at it's look, I, I don't know. Kevin Meany. I don't care song. I guess yeah. you, you can do on YouTube. So funny. I, uh, years ago, uh, on the, uh, I was like, uh, gosh, I must've been eighth or ninth grade. So on the bus to school, the uh, the bus driver would be playing like a morning zoo thing, uh-huh. um, the name of which I can't even remember. But uh, it was Denver. It was like a, it was one of those. Anyway, uh, and Kevin Meaning was doing morning radio as comedians often yeah. do, and and he came up with a song that I think was a reference to something, but I certainly didn't know it at the time. Yeah, uh, where they were talking about oh when are you going to? And it was it was it was a Monday, uh-huh. and so he's going to be performing on Monday. And so he launched into a song in which he just sang the words, 
Eagle Flying on Monday. That's it. And goes, Eagle Flying on Monday. And did that very loungy kind of thing he would do. And it's just like, it came out of nowhere. And I don't know how he was able to, how he connected it to the Eagle is flying. That's me performing on Monday, I guess. Uh, again, it has to be a reference to something. Or maybe not. Maybe not. That's the thing. Uh, well, you know, when I was younger, I actually were so far off, so far off topic. But any chance to talk about Kevin Meany? Because mm. when I was younger, I I didn't think Kevin Meany was funny. I think mm. I thought I think I and I think this is something that happens the more stand up comedy you are exposed to mm-hmm. that having funny jokes is important. Yeah, but it's actually not as important as just being funny. And so Kevin Meany wasn't completely like a, committed. Yeah. A, Kevin Meany, it's sort of it's, uh, another, you know, we talked about Brody Stevens a lot. He was mm-hmm. the same way. Neither one of them were really like great joke writers, yeah. but they were just so perfectly, wholly yeah. in the moment, funny. Um, uh, and I think that it's, sort of, I think that's sort of like, if you watch a lot of movies, the things yeah. that you value change uh, as well. And so uh, I just want to celebrate Kevin Meany now. Like, yeah. uh, he would be on Dr. Katz a few times, uh, and he would just, he'd say like, he goes, Oh, no, like, Oh, my parents, they never trusted me. Like I would just be sitting at home when I was a kid and I would be like doing my homework and like, I've got my book open and, and, uh, my dad'd be like, you're not reading, you're not reading nothing. He's like, and he was right. I wasn't reading. I was just staring at the pages. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, all right. But, uh, okay. So, uh, so, about 80s so big also has John yeah. Lovitz who is allowed to be funny, thankfully. And then he was also in a film called Mr. Destiny, which is about a blue collar worker who, you know, it's, it's one of those like fantasy things. I actually think it's a better movie than people give it credit for. It's Jim um, Belushi. Jim Belushi. Yeah, I never saw it. Um, I know it. Where he essentially says like this moment in my life when I was in high school where I had met, I had done something wrong and if I had done something right, it would have changed everything. And so Michael Caine plays this magical uh, British man uh, and he says, okay, well, well, we're going to make that happen. And sure enough, his life has changed. And now he goes from, cause he's in this small town where like everybody essentially works for this one company and he just like works in the warehouse and then he pivots and goes this other way. And now he's, uh, in, in the corporate offices. And so it, again, it's him. It's a blue collar guy now in a position where he has to try to figure out the white collar part of it. And in doing so, he sees, and this gets me from one thing to another to another. He meets a corporate shark played unsurprisingly by Hart Bachner, uh, which brings oh, us yeah. to Die Hard. I think that's a good, yeah. Die Hard's a good one. Yeah. Um, uh, because it's, uh, sort of like I was saying with, I don't know when I was mentioning most beautiful Island before, mm-hmm. uh, you could see it as a metaphor for changing corporate culture. It certainly yeah. represents the rise of, uh, Japanese business yeah. in the eighties in a way that's probably more sensitive than rising sun, which I never saw, but I know t- <laughs> caught a lot of flack. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see that? No. Rising sun? Anyway. Um, but also just the general idea of, uh, of a workplace being sort of, uh, uh, a dangerous place, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, it's funny when I, when I mentioned this topic to my wife, 
she was like, you should mention falling down. Uh, I've got it on. Oh, my, you did. Yeah. See, I, but I, none of falling down takes place in an office. So it was too right. far removed for me. Okay. But I do think that that idea of, um, of an office being a place where tensions are always about to boil over. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, I mean, you talked about the, the way that the suburbs are often portrayed. It's often like, uh, self-satisfied joke to say like, Oh, there's more going on beneath the surface. Yeah. Um, but that does seem to be the indica- implication, uh, in, in falling down or in, um, what just came to mind, uh, is not the whole movie, but a very specific scene in the rapture. Uh, um, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, ab- yeah, about, yeah. uh, danger in an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, is there you have more to say about Die Hard? Uh, no, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about falling down, okay. and that one of the reasons that I incorporated it was that, like, yeah, it doesn't take place in an office, and that's precisely it. He was laid off because he, you know, talking about your own paranoia, which is that, like, they're always watching, looking for the opportunity to lay you off, yeah. looking for the opportunity to like to demean you, whatever it is. And or it's you- not even looking for the opportunity as we'll, we'll get into uh, the movie. I want to talk about next after this. Uh, sometimes it doesn't matter. They don't have a grudge against you. It's right. just if, if they can save three pennies by laying you off, right? Which gets me to another part of the film, which isn't necessarily like this white collar thing. It's not even necessarily an office thing, but it, it fits as far as terminology, because what you're talking about is economic viability. And there's that <laughs> oh, yeah. scene with Vondi Curtis Hall who can't get a loan from a bank, which again is its own corporate type of thing. Um, because he's not economically viable. Do you like know it's this been I- so long since I have seen the movie that I don't think I remembered that that was, I remember the scene. I didn't mm-hmm. remember that it was Vondi Curtis Hall. Yeah. And he's, and I think he's, he's great. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's in it for all of a minute. 30 yeah. seconds maybe, but he's really, uh, really powerful. And, and the fact that, uh, uh, Michael Douglas sees this, uh, this guy and uses his term later. And he says, I am not economically viable. Like this idea of like, of a corporate office, white collar culture. And that like, they use these euphemistic terms, mm-hmm. um, and that these other characters just kind of, they're not necessarily happy about it, but that they just incorporate it into their lives. And so, yeah, I think it might be stretching it a little bit to incorporate it, but I, I definitely, it was on my list yeah. uh, to talk about. Well, um, the movie I, I thought about that's maybe because it, this is a movie, this is a movie about a character who very pointedly does not work in an office of his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the movie is up in the air, which oh, is yeah. a movie about, that really speaks to me because of my fears of, uh, corporate, uh, anti-humanism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is this movie about a guy who travels around doing the dirty work for, yeah. uh, companies that want to be able to maintain the illusion that their workers are faceless drones. And in the moment he give he tries to give the impression that he's being very humanistic, mm-hmm. you know, trying to give them a pep talk and that sort of thing. And sometimes it appears to work and other times it uh, very much doesn't. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's a movie that, um, I liked when I saw it. And I think as years go on, I think I, I like it more and more. I loved it then. And I love it now. I think yeah. it is damn near perfect. Um, I still think I, know, I still haven't seen Tully, but as uh, far yeah, as no. Jason Reitman movies go, I think young adult, is still my favorite. Okay. And I, yeah, I didn't see that one either. Um, and up in the air is good. 
I know I'm in the minority on this one, but Labor Day, I like. Right. Uh, but everyone hated that one. Juno. Uh, Juno, I don't like, and Thank You for Smoking, I don't like. Uh, thank, you for, thank You for Smoking is one that I still like mostly by virtue of the uh, actors. I think the filmmaking is an instance where, like, it's a first-time filmmaker uh, trying to make his mark, and I think it, it lands a good portion of the time. Uh, and then... And then his next film was Juno, and I think he did some okay things with that. I don't love the film uh, really at all, but I think yeah. you can see you can definitely see the progression um, of him as a director from and then Juno and then Up in the Air. And what's interesting is that Up in the Air just feels so much more restrained, even though he's still doing a lot of the same things that he did in thank you for smoking, but I think he was able to focus them yeah. a little bit more and make them seem less ostentatious and more just how these characters are and how they live and how they see themselves. Um, the other movie of his that I will defend, I'm in the minority on, oh, is right. Men, Women, and Children. That's right. Uh, and the other one that I forgot about, even though it's the most recent one, is The Front Runner. I, that yeah. movie is so... It's... It, I think Thank You for Smoking and Juno are largely airless, but in a way that is uh, um, very ostentatious. Mm-hmm. Whereas the front runner is also, I think, kind of airless, but in a way that isn't even doesn't even really make its mark. Yeah. There's a germ of a really good ensemble movie in the front runner, but it doesn't uh, uh, it doesn't go too deep or too far afield to really explore the things that it could. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how good up in the air is, but uh, yeah. Any other uh, other office movies? Um, yeah. Okay. So, because I do like your I do like your definition of of this topic, which is like it can't be too specific. And so, along those lines, I'm I'm both inclined and disinclined to incorporate another George Clooney movie, which is Michael Clayton, hmm. because I think law and lawyer is a specific enough yeah. thing, like. If if you have a character who's a lawyer, that's it. It's not just that they're in a in a specific type of culture or in a white collar situation. They are lawyers, just like the characters in Spotlight are journalists. I think that's what it's about. I yeah. think they're not. I, but his character used to be a lawyer, and now he works in this world that, and he works for a law firm, but he also works with companies and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I feel like I'm kind of okay with incorporating that one, but not. Not wholeheartedly. Um, speaking of law, I was thinking, I'm reading this, uh, I was telling you, I'm in the catching up on this uh, comic book called The Immortal Hulk. Mm-hmm. And She-Hulk showed up for uh, a couple of episodes and it reminded me of something that Paul Goebel and I used to say on our old show, which is that Marvel should do, like Marvel Netflix, which like doesn't exist anymore or, or whatever, Marvel ABC should do a She-Hulk series, mm. but that's just a legal procedural because <laughs> you know she hoped yeah, a lawyer yeah. <laughs> like it wouldn't wouldn't involve her fighting super villains she probably wouldn't even really hulk out maybe for sweeps week or, or whatever right. but most of the time it would just be like boston legal except she's a hulk i would love that honestly <laughs> and that and that does kind of fit in with what uh marvel netflix was doing which is kind of each each show mm-hmm. had its own tone like one was sort of a detective show one was sort of this uh, 70s black exploitation homage and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, so this is going to sound strange as far as when talking about movies that are that are white collar. I realize that I can't simply say Michael Douglas 
<laughs> but you know what I mean. Sure. Everything from the game to disclosure, which is disclosure, a perfect murder, Wall Street, basic instinct, never fatal attraction. Murder. Like it just, yeah. he just, and even, even something like falling down, which I think is kind of a play on how people saw him. Uh, it's so interesting to think that in the, 70s and early 80s he was seen as like this renegade who was in stuff like romancing the stone and like this adventurer kind of rugged type of guy and then suddenly just i do think that once he was in wall street like that's just how how you saw him yeah um but yeah just a guy who is have you seen disclosure by the way no i heard it's not very good it is is it's it's impressively bad okay because not only is it this weird reactionary movie about the uh predatory female in the workplace it also incorporates virtual reality i have heard that it's the strangest thing it's just like you know i'm not it's like i recognize virtual virtual reality is a is a big thing it was a big thing at the time you don't have to incorporate it into everything. Yeah. Just keep it in, keep it in uh, sci-fi, not into your weird sexual harassment, legal movie. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uniquely, impressively bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. I sh- I guess I should watch it. Uh, like a double feature of that. And like the net, I feel like the two would go together very well, but, um, um, but yeah. And so like, there's just something about certain actors and I think Michael Douglas, maybe more so than anybody else ever, um, just seems to capture the way Hollywood sees it. And that like, and we're on his side a good, no, a good portion of the time, but we also recognize he's not that great of a guy. Like mm-hmm. he is the essence. He's not like a guy caught up in it. He is the one making yeah, the, yeah. the rules, you know? Um, we should probably look toward wrapping up. There's a couple more I wanted to mention. One that I think is kind of look, the Coen brothers can be cynical. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the cynics version of nine to five in which someone who is pure of heart takes mm-hmm. over the office, uh, is the Hudsucker proxy. Sure. Um, in which instead of changing everyone's else, everyone else's lives for the better, he just, his life just gets worse and worse. Yeah. Um, uh, that is the Coen brothers movie. It's been the longest since I've seen, but one that I watched so much when I was a yeah. teenager. Um, I really love that movie, uh, to go back. It's weird that I hadn't mentioned this yet because the first movie on my list tied into your man in the great film, suit, 1960s ad office, mm-hmm. madman type of thing. The apartment. Sure. Um, absolutely. Uh, another movie about, uh, even though large portions of it don't take place in mm-hmm. an office, plenty of portions of it do. Um, but it goes back to what I was saying in the sort of intro to this topic. Um, the idea that your status or your standing within the office becomes your entire life. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, very, very little work life balance practiced in most of these uh uh which i don't know you don't work in an office i don't know right. if, you, if you hear that term work-life balance but it's over the past five ten years it's become like a uh a bit of a buzzword yeah um yeah but they're not practicing work-life balance in the apartment or in any, any of these movies we've talked about today pretty much well and the apartment also has some some visual like when i think of the apartment i tend to think of a more um just kind of a, a humanist film but it still is visually beautiful Mm. and, and the way the office is portrayed, uh, is something that I 
saw that we would see in playtime. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of, we would also see it in stuff like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory and Brazil. Um, but that gets into like the governmental things, which is, which I think is specific enough. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, and speaking of Billy Wilder, I, I feel like double indemnity, which I recognize is a film noir, but this idea of like, it's an insurance guy. So he's working for this corporate thing. He goes in, he's got his his own office. He has to fill out forms constantly. And you kind of get the impression that he wouldn't do this if he were satisfied with his life. He seems like a guy who wants adventure in his life. I didn't think of that one specifically because of my rule that, what he does in the office is too important to the plot. But I think in the spirit of the topic, double indemnity absolutely, uh, yeah. fits. Yeah. Uh, only other, uh, I wanted to mention, I don't know what to say about it. It hasn't already been said in this episode about how, uh, much cruelty can happen in an office setting, but in the company of men, uh, oh boy. is, uh, yeah. is a movie that I think is about, I think Neil Butte probably has some probably kind of problematic uh, or yeah, problematic. I just, not everything that you disagree with is problematic. Right. I disagree with, I think some of the things that he might be saying about stifled masculinity uh, in, in, in that movie. Um, I don't think hmm. that uh, I don't think of, and maybe I'm just saying this because I am an office worker and I don't sure. want to think, I don't think of an office of office work as neutering. Yeah, well, uh, it's, which I think he does. If that is the argument he's making, he certainly isn't alone in it. I mean, you mentioned yeah. Fight Club already. Yeah, which um, is also a movie I don't like. I like I like In the Company of Men, or I think it's well done. Mm-hmm. It's not a movie that I I've seen. I've seen once and uh, don't need feel the need yeah. to watch again because it's so cruel. Um, yeah, but at least it's better executed than Fight Club, which I think is dumb. Um, now I have not actually seen any version of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Neither have I, but. Uh, just based on what I know about it, it sounds very much like this, right. which, uh, which again, like I, I do think that a common, I mean, I, I'm almost inclined. It's, it might be too specific, but I am, I'm almost inclined to inc- include uh, Jerry Maguire here, which is the idea of the, the office, not necessarily, not necessarily drone. They could have some kind of power, but they do feel very stifled. And so they want some kind of adventure. They want some kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. They want to assert their individuality. Uh, and so that's something that you'll find in Jerry Maguire, double indemnity, secret life of Walter Mitty. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of thing. That is definitely a common and, and Joe versus the volcano. And that is probably the most common theme uh, in any film that is it doesn't merely feature characters that work in an office, but it's about working in an office. Yeah. I, it's I almost always going to be how terrible it is and how you, you are yeah. a person. If listeners can think of an example, cause I'm trying to think of, I, what I want is a movie that feels about white collar work the same way that Jim Jarmusch's Patterson feels about blue collar work. Sure. Because I think that's a very, a movie that is very pro follow your artistic muse mm-hmm. and also very pro there's nobility in having a regular job. Yeah. Oh man. I feel like, uh, I can't think of an example of that in an office setting. Yeah, I can't either. Um, as far as like the kind of the, the stragglers in my mind right now, um, what about something like the social network? Uh, I, I think that's too, again, it's too specific. Yeah. Not merely to and, students, but also like, to working the in the tech, tech industry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like, 
Uh, and I would say similarly, something like Margin Call, which again, which I, which I, I, didn't I love. Yeah. I, I think it's a marvelous film. But um, the idea of uh, working on Wall Street and, and that kind of thing, I think it's I think that's what that movie's about, not about, you know, white collar culture or anything like that. Uh, the only other thing I didn't mention, because it's not a movie, but obviously The Office, the TV show. Sure. Um, and Mad I Men. guess what's that? Yeah. And Mad Men is a great one too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like when I, in terms of this topic, when I say the office, I'm referring more to the British one because I think the American one went on so long that it, uh, it became about other things. You know, I, I, from what I know, I watched, how many seasons was that? It was like nine, like eight, nine, I think I, I watched five seasons, yeah. I think. Um, and even then, like by the fifth season, I was already checking out. Um, yeah. but it, those characters became, they stopped being representing certain office types and they right. became, uh, in, in some ways more fleshed out in more ways. They just, in other words, it just became more cartoonish. Well, and you the, know, the relationship going to Creed for a reaction shot became Creed went from being like one of my favorite characters on the American yeah. office to being like, Oh, of course they're doing right. a Creed is weird thing here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> meanwhile, Phyllis became one of my favorite, uh, characters. Um, but yeah, that's a situation where despite it being called the office, you spend long enough, a long enough time there. And suddenly it's like, okay, it's a makeshift family. Uh-huh. Like, which <laughs> I don't roll my eyes at, but, and I'm fine with a, with a, a show evolving or maybe devolving and, and doing this other thing. But yeah, I think, I think the British office, uh, was so focused and because it didn't just keep going on, uh, it allowed them to just be like, that's what this is about. Yeah. And God help you. Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been a fun talk. Um, and you can find us at battleship pretension.com. Um, that's where you can find, Oh, well this week on the Patreon, we mm-hmm. talked about, um, uh, we, we did a full length version of our celebrity sighting guessing game. Um, which I think based on the response so far, we did a good job of not making it tedious. Yes. In fact, I think people had a lot of fun with it because we took, you know, we followed sort of side alleys in our conversation and took yeah. d- uh, d- digressions and stuff. But uh, that's what's on the Patreon this week on the website. Uh, this week, we got, uh, I posted reviews of Sunset and Hotel Mumbai. We also have a review of Ramen Shop. Um, uh, like uh, Alex uh, wrote about The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Um, also, by the time this goes up, we're going to have another round of commentaries available. Um, oh, if shoot, you, that's right. If you subscribe to the Patreon, then you get the commentaries already. And this is also worth noting. Yeah. We should have said this on the, on a Patreon episode. Yeah. Um, all four of these will be available at once. Yes. But these will be your Patreon episodes for the next month. So right. there won't be a new Patreon episode. Right. For a few weeks after, after this, but you've got four feature length films worth of, <laughs> of <Right>. content. <laughs> so it'll, it'll all work out for you. Um, and we will be doing video as well, uh, for those, which only applies That's to the only to the t- Admiral level patrons, right? Which is $10 a month. Uh, but for the rest of you, um, if you're not a patron, yeah, if you, if you just want the commentaries themselves, uh, it is called, uh, th- this one is called Keanu kicks ass. Yes. And we'll be talking about, uh, point break and speed, the matrix and John wick. Uh, so you can buy that. You can buy them individually for $3 or you can buy all of them for $10. So you can find that at battleship 
Yeah, uh, you can email us at david at com or tyler at com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on in your other podcast, More Than One Lesson? Well, week? the podcast itself, itself is right. still on hiatus, but there are still other shows going on. There's Two Geek Soup, where they have really embraced the geek part, and this, time, and this week they have on uh, a guy who collects uh, vintage toys and action figures and stuff which is interesting to me uh and then over at the fear of god they are they're doing a series called netflix and chills in which they're talking about uh netflix horror movies and so they've talked about cam uh they oh they did talk about cam yeah this week they talked about gerald's game and so uh so yeah you can find all of that at more than one lesson.com thanks for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 